0: This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church, and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Ramona, Lydia, Caleb J, Rosemary, Benton, and Levi. First we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's Big Question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Ramona, who asks, why did Abraham hear God's voice when he talked to him, but we don't? This is a great question, Ramona, one that people living in the New Testament age must have wondered about too. After all, they'd grown up reading in scripture about how Abraham had heard God's voice, how Moses had spoken back and forth with him. Why wasn't God speaking to them the same way? Why doesn't he speak that way to us? The question is answered by the author of Hebrews right at the beginning of that book. He writes, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. In other words, over the centuries, God spoke in many different ways, verbally, through signs and wonders, through prophets, but all of that was building up to God's ultimate word to us, which was Jesus. Jesus is not just God speaking to us, but God with us, which is what Emmanuel means. Ever since Jesus is coming, we have had his word to us in Scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures, and when we read them, the Holy Spirit illuminates them for us. So, to hear from God today, we turn to the Bible, where Jesus is revealed. Our next question comes from Lydia, who asks, Why are there different colors for different Sundays? Well, Lydia, the colors that decorate the sanctuary at church are connected to the changing seasons in the church calendar. Now, that calendar reminds us of the story of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. It also reminds us to connect that history to our own lives. Right now, we're in a long season called Ordinary Time, which will last until Advent begins. The color for Ordinary Time is green. When it's Advent, a season where we celebrate the coming of Jesus, the color will change to purple. Now it's time for the big question. Our big question this week comes from Caleb J. Let's give Caleb a round of applause. Here's Caleb's question. Why do we baptize people when they're babies, but some other churches let people choose when to get baptized? Well, Caleb, baptism is one of the two sacraments instituted by God for use in the church. The other one is the Lord's Supper. Now, both of them have something in common. As the Westminster Confession says, they are signs and seals of the covenant of grace. In other words, God made a promise of salvation to his people, that's his covenant, and to give us a sign of that promise and a seal that testifies to our being included in it, he also gave us baptism and communion. In the waters of baptism, we see a picture of his blood cleansing us from our sin. In the bread and cup of communion, we see a picture of his body given for us on the cross. I suppose you could say that both sacraments preach the same sermon, just in different ways. As Presbyterians, the way we celebrate communion and the way we administer baptism is similar to other churches, but also different. And when you see differences, it's good to ask why they exist. Usually, differences in how something is done reflect differences in what that thing is about, what it means, and what it's for. Now the difference you've mentioned, Caleb, is a significant one. Some churches baptize newborn babies while others only baptize adults. So what's the story behind this difference? Well, in a nutshell, it went something like this. From the early days of the church until the Reformation, it was common to baptize two types of people – adult converts to Christianity and the children of believers. But in the 1500s, a group of radical reformers asked themselves whether the New Testament taught that second kind of baptism. They couldn't find any descriptions of babies being baptized in, for example, the Book of Acts, unless you counted references to whole households being baptized, and they didn't count that. They wanted something more explicit. So they decided that the church's tradition was wrong and that the Bible didn't teach infant baptism. Unfortunately, they'd all been baptized as infants, so they decided that that didn't count anymore, and they rebaptized themselves. That's how they got their name, Anabaptists, or Rebaptizers. For a few centuries, they were in the minority, but in America, the Baptist Church grew and grew until eventually it was one of the biggest, and its view of baptism became the norm. Today, not only Baptists, but also non-denominational Christians, Bible churches, and Pentecostal groups all tend to hold more or less the same view of Baptism. But Presbyterians were opposed to Anabaptists back in the day because they saw a problem with how the Anabaptists were reading the Bible. Essentially, they were ignoring the Old Testament and the way that God works in the Old Testament with his people back then connected to the way God worked with his people in the New Testament and also today. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, we see God instituting a covenant sign for his people, a seal of his promise to Israel, and it was a sign administered to two types of people, to adult converts, but also to the children of the covenant. I'm talking, of course, about the sign of circumcision. The New Testament describes baptism in ways that link it to circumcision, just as the Lord's Supper is linked to the Passover meal. In a sense, the New Testament people of God administered the sacraments in a way very similar to how the Old Testament people of God did it. As I said, when you see different practices in the church, it's often a sign of disagreement over what that thing is, what it means, and what it's for, and baptism is a prime example. Now, I grew up as a Baptist, and if you'd asked me then what baptism is, I would have explained it as the first act of obedience. The idea is that once you've come to faith, Jesus asks you to take an additional step and to get baptized to show your plan to follow him in obedience. For a Baptist, baptism's symbolism pictures something that's already happened. Uh, You've been saved and now you get a picture of that accomplished work. You might say baptism is like a reminder of a prophecy that's already been fulfilled and an encouragement that you will now live the way that Christ calls you to live. But as I mentioned, Presbyterians see baptism differently. It's a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. So we baptize people not because they have made a profession of faith, but because they are members of the covenant community, receivers of God's promise of salvation. The Apostle Paul says that when a child is born to believers, even if only one parent has faith in Christ, that child is holy. What does he mean? Not that the child is automatically saved, but that he or she is set apart, just as the children of Israel were set apart, a special people who'd received a special promise. When adults come to faith, we baptize them too, and for the same reason. The work of the Holy Spirit in them demonstrates that they are also children of the covenant. We know they've received the promise because God is fulfilling it in their lives. So we don't practice two kinds of baptism, infant baptism and adult baptism, or infant baptism and believer's baptism. We practice one, covenant baptism, and we do it in continuation of God's plan throughout the Bible, Old Testament, and New Testament. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. First, we have uh, two questions, one from Rosemary, one from Benton, that are connected to the same topic. Rosemary asks, when will we have church in the new building? And Benton asks, when do you think we'll move buildings? Because we've been planning to for a while. Well, obviously, these questions were asked before our summer break. And over the summer, we made a historic move in the life of our church. Since August 20th, just a few weeks ago, we've been worshiping in our long-awaited new space. Now, it's not a permanent home, but Lord willing, we expect to be here for the next few years, giving us time for God to prepare us and lead us to a place that can work as a long-term home. How do you like meeting in our new building? There's a lot more room than there used to be, isn't there? Now, this move is a good reminder to us that God provides for our needs on his timetable. Sometimes he makes us wait. Sometimes he gives us not what we expect, but what we really need. The important thing is to rely on him to provide. Also, when you have so much extra room like we do now, that's also a reminder that it's never a bad idea to share grace with other people. And finally, Levi wants to know, what is your favorite thing to do? When you live as full and as adventurous a life as I do, Levi, it's hard to single out just one favorite thing. Is it riding alligators? Is it free climbing Mount Sinai? Is it parachuting off the side of the moon and landing in the parking lot right before church starts? Look, I try to take pleasure in everything that life throws me, so I have a lot of favorite things to choose from. One of my all-time favorites, of course, is preaching super long sermons when kids are ready for church to be over. That is a lot of fun. And I always enjoy intentionally misunderstanding whenever people ask me questions about the Super Bowl or golf or pretty much any kind of sport. But my favorite thing has to be a tie between reading and walking. And ideally, I like to do them both at the same time, listening to an audiobook while I walk. But what about you? What's your favorite thing to do? Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask, and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking the big questions.